Hi, I'm Trey Sample, and you're listening to the Daily Rhythms Podcast on Anchor FM. Shh, everybody quiet, please. We're rolling. Well, greetings, everyone. Uh, thanks for tuning in to the next to the last episode of Daily Rhythms, a historic event, if ever there was one. Well, it's not really historic. I mean, it's... <laughs> anyway, thanks for tuning in. Uh, I am your host, as always, Vic Hunter. Uh, the title of this episode is My Five Faves. That's it. My Five Faves. And this is probably the most unusual title I've come up with to date. But uh, stay tuned, and it'll make sense. Now, um, I hope that throughout uh, the three-year course of this podcast, uh, you've picked up on the fact that I love the Bible. I love the Bible. I love God's Word. There is something about looking into the very face of God through the printed Word of the Bible that I sit in awe of. The mere fact that it is available in multiple languages, even in Braille, uh, I might add, is baffling. You might say I have the very word of God at the tip of my fingertips, so to speak. But the Lord takes 66 books to tell the story of his will and his plan for his creation. It is the reliable revelation of God's truth to man. It contains a vast number of genres, narrative, poetry, epistles or letters, even apocalyptic writings, just to name a few. But it is more than just a literary work. It is God's word to his people. Now, I don't mean to bore you with these introductory remarks, but to impress upon you the significance and scope of the Bible. Now, a word about the uh, episode title. Those of you who are longtime studiers of God's Word, or uh, even if you're not, have your favorite verses. I have mine, and you have yours. Uh, for some, it's Psalm 23. This psalm is often read at funerals because it has a calming effect, I suppose. For others, it's 1 Corinthians 13, uh, often referred to as the love chapter. Uh, this is one um, that is often read at weddings uh, to describe the type of agape love spouses should have toward one another. But I have some of my faves, hence the title, and I'd like to share those with you today, uh, as well as why they show up on the list. So here we go. Number one, Psalm 95. Let's read this psalm beginning at verse one. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. You have to read it like that. Let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence 
with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. O oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. I have a special uh, fondness for this psalm from my days singing with a freshman chorus at Lipscomb University. In fact, the first time I became familiar with Psalm 95 was from that song that we sang. Now, I used to be a worship leader. Um, so I, I love this psalm because it, it had to come from the heart of a worship leader. I can remember being in a season in my worship ministry where I felt compelled by the Spirit to invite worshipers into this incredible experience of worshiping the Almighty Creator God by setting the, the right tone um, for that day as we began our worship. Now, I never understood why some churches begin worship services with announcements. Uh, that just doesn't set the right tone, but that's neither here nor there. But this worship leader in Psalm 95 is calling the worshipers to worship, to bow down, to give thanks. Why? Because of the greatness of God. Because of our close personal relationship with him. We are his sheep. He is our shepherd and creator. Also, I love the feeling of excitement and celebration in this psalm. For this psalmist, worship is not just a liturgical exercise, but a time of celebration and praise. And the worship is not, in the words of John Piper, loosey-goosey. It is a joyful expression of who God is and who we are and the jubilance we feel because of that. It is an invitation to participate in the worship of our Creator. So that's why I love this psalm. Number two. Here's another one. Flip over to the New Testament, to the Gospel of John. John chapter 9, uh, beginning at verse 1. Read with me if you can. As he, Jesus, passed by, he saw a, he saw a man born blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Now you can probably guess uh, why I love this passage. 
but I'll give it to you anyway. This man's life so mirrors my own. And whenever people find out that I'm blind, they're like, oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. That must be horrible for you. I am so sorry. And I always respond, why? I'm not. I have lived a full and productive life in the Lord. I'm thankful for that. Everything that has happened in my life has been a display of God's glory. Everything, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Now, people who don't um, have an understanding of spiritual things, about the workings of God, about his plans and his purposes, can't understand that. Uh, when I was uh, younger, uh, I used to listen to people talk about some sin that occurred in our family many years ago that caused the blindness of the male members of our family. Let me tell you, folks, my blindness has nothing to do with some multi-generational sin or curse. That's what the disciples thought. That's why they asked Jesus this question. Who sinned, this man or his parents? But Jesus makes it clear that the blindness has to do with making God glorious, God being made manifest in the life of this man. The same is true for me. The thing I get from John 9 is that my blindness what some people might consider a handicap or a disability or a challenge or whatever word you want to use, has purpose and meaning. Number three, Isaiah 53. Let's begin reading at verse one. It says, who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. 
yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked, and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth. There is so much, so much in that passage, but I want to focus on a couple of things here. First, Jesus was just an ordinary guy. He was not tall, dark, and handsome. The text says that there was nothing about him that would make us sit up and take notice. He did not have that star quality look we often associate with political figures or movie stars or military leaders, which is why the Jews had such a difficult time envisioning him as the promised Messiah. So if you are not one of the beautiful people, if you're not someone whose picture might wind up on the covers of Vogue or GQ, you can identify with Jesus. Second, Jesus, the Son of God, chose to live a life of ridicule and shame and disgrace in order to identify with us. Not only that, but he chose to be beaten, spit upon, mistreated for our salvation. And sometimes when I read this, it almost brings me to tears. Literally, brings me to tears. I'm weeping with gratitude, for sure. But I'm also weeping at this whole idea of man's inhumanity to man. He was innocent. He didn't do a thing, and yet... We treated him like scum. Really sad. Number four, Romans chapter seven, beginning at verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very things I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law, that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. 
Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that, I, that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Now, I love this passage because it so describes where I live in my struggle with sin. I think it's it's where we all live, right? We, we struggle with the sin. We, we know it's wrong. We promise never, ever, ever, ever to do it again. But we find ourselves right back where we started. Here's this man, Paul, this great apostle, this great giant of the faith, who struggles so mightily with sin. And how wise of God to include this within the pages of Scripture. It's as if he's saying, Hey, I know you're broken. I know you struggle. Here's somebody you can identify with. My man, Paul. I love that. But I, what I really love is what Paul concludes with in verse 24 and 25. He says, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So he recognizes his own sinfulness and then concludes with the answer that the answer is in Jesus Christ. He is our hope in our struggle against sin. Amen. Number five, Psalm 63, beginning at verse one. O oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. And my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help 
and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. In 1987, I heard a song called Better Than Life by the contemporary Christian group a cappella, based on Psalm 63. I had never read that psalm before, but every time I read it now, I have an immediate connection to that song. Also, I've often had David's experience here. He's running from his enemies, and he's in the desert, alone and weary and thirsty. But it's more than just a physical thirst. He says, my soul, my very soul thirsts for you, God. There is this longing for the living God in that dry and barren space that he's in. I've been there. I went through a season of depression about a year ago, and I felt just like David did. Like, you know God is there, you know he cares, but you feel like he's not. You feel alone and desolate. Not only do you feel God isn't there, but neither is anyone else. You have people uh, in your community who tell you that they care, and you know they do, but you just feel like they don't. I'm sure you've been there. But isn't it awesome, if I can use that word, that David gives wings to those feelings? And again, the Lord in his infinite wisdom chose to sovereignly put this in Scripture so that we could identify. But you know what? David recognizes that even in this dry and weary land, God's steadfast love is better than life itself. Amen. So those, in a nutshell, folks, are my favorite passages of Scripture. Five of my favorite, anyway. I thought it would be fitting uh, to round out this podcast by sharing those with you. I hope this has been encouraging to you. Now, of course, this is not the last episode of Daily Rhythms. Uh, We'll let you hear that uh, next time, and it will be a very special episode, so I hope you will tune in for that. Before we end today's episode, I want to share with you a couple of comments from your fellow listeners about their experiences listening to Daily Rhythms. The first one is from a lady named Midori in Milan, Italy. She says this, Daily Rhythms has been a blessing for me as I'm a baby Christian, and I live in an unchristian environment. It gives me practical instructions like how we should or shouldn't pray, and helps me to realize I'm not alone doing this Christian journey. It encourages me to stay closer to God. Victor Hunter, your passions and efforts are greatly appreciated by this Japanese baby Christian living in Italy. 
Well, thank you, Midori. I really appreciate that. Uh, Dory is one of our most faithful listeners. So I always appreciate her feedback. Thanks, Midori. And now this comment uh, from Tiffany, who lives in Chennai, India. Here's what she has to say. Hi, my name is Tiffany Nairn, and for Daily Rhythms, it has been a pleasure to tune in and listen to it for um, it's been running. It's been fantastic. Uh, very uplifting messages about journaling and about meditation and all the different uh, disciplines that we need to revisit and uh, focus on for our own religious life. I thought that uh, Victor's mannerisms and and technique has been very relaxed, easygoing, and accessible. And that meant that uh, it was very inspirational for me throughout the time. I'm really going to miss it, but I know I will be playing it back over and over again. So thank you very much, Victor. I, I pray all the best for you in future. And I really hope that what is there already will be beneficial to many that are still going to listen in future. Thanks, Tiffany. And thank you all for listening to this episode of Daily Rhythms. We'll conclude this podcast next time with a very special episode you won't want to miss. Until next time, God's blessings to you all. That's a wrap.